0: X-ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. It's Friday, May 29th. Episode number 50. Got a little over 16,000 listens of this little experiment. Share it so we can start getting that number, you know, every week or so. I hope we're just getting warmed up. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. Voting for Best of Portland is happening now. Bar Bar is nominated for Best Burger and Porquino is nominated for Best Mexican Restaurant. And guess who's nominated for Best Radio Station? Well, It's X-Ray. Keeping the rhythm in your life. You can vote for X-Ray at bit.ly slash X-Ray FM 2020 or just go to x-ray.fm and click on the button. Speaking of rhythm, tonight, Friday, May 29th, is our next house show. Join us at 7 p.m. Pacific time for a show with Lucy Elena Mendoza of Ilabamba and Ryan Oxford. You can find us at X-Ray FM on YouTube and Facebook Live. Any donations that come in during these shows go straight to artists or those impacted by COVID-19. Today, back in the day, May 29th, 1973. Oregon Senate Bill 100 was signed into law, requiring every Oregon city and county to prepare a comprehensive land use plan and to follow a set of general state goals. While localities remained responsible for land use decisions, it simultaneously established and defined a broader public interest at the state level. For example, while so much of urban America started seeing decline, Portland's downtown thrived. While so much of suburban and exurban America was sprawling out of control, farm and forest land were preserved. And 1,000 Friends of Oregon spent years working to keep Oregon, Oregon. Today on the local, your quick six headlines, we talked to Alex Zelinsky of the Portland Mercury about Portland's police union contract and an interview with Oregon senior U.S. Senator Ron Wyden.
1: I do want for purposes of your program listeners to know that I insisted that the benefits be retroactive, so people are gonna get that money, but they need it now. They needed it yesterday. They needed it the day before
0: yesterday. First up, today's Quick Six Local Rundown. The unemployment department problem is worse than we thought. Since the pandemic hit, about 440,000 Oregonians have filed for unemployment benefits. I think in the past we've said there's like 22,000 people who haven't been able to get them. As of Wednesday, 200,000 have yet to see their first payment. Actually, reports said 220,000. The director said, no, 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 it's more like 200,000. The Employment Department disclosed this at a state legislative hearing, their first remarks in like a month. In our interview with Ron Wyden, he made it clear this was unacceptable. The director of the unemployment department is Kay Erickson. I have a sense she's going to become more famous. I also suspect she does not want to become more famous. In her first public comments in more than a month, here is a quote. Thousands of Oregonians have been left wondering if their benefits will arrive in time to pay their bills. For the thousands of Oregonians who are still waiting, I do apologize. A little background on the unemployment department. We did some research. Erickson replaced previous director Lisa Nissenfeld. Governor Kate Brown fired Nissenfeld back in like January of 2016 after an audit revealed the employment department relied on computer programs from the 1990s. The concern then was they were susceptible to hacks a year after a significant data breach of the agency. And before getting named the head of the Employment Department, Erickson spent 12 years working for the Department of Administrative Services, known as DAS, and also serving as the state budget manager. I got some questions four years later about those computer programs that were insufficient four years ago that led to the firing of the Employment Department's predecessor. By the way, that's from a 2016 Statesman Journal piece. Thanks to the Statesman Journal, and thanks to research! Washington County can start reopening on June 1st. That means bars, restaurants, salons, and a bunch of other businesses can open on Monday. Washington County applied to reopen last Friday. Brown approved that yesterday, Thursday afternoon. Washington County is the second most populous county in Oregon. It's got Beaverton. It's got Hillsboro. Shout out to AM 1360, KUIK. This reopening comes just days after Brown announced Clackamas County could reopen into phase one. This leaves Multnomah County as the only Oregon County not to have phase one approval. And as you heard here yesterday, Multnomah County says they are applying for reopening on June 5th with a plan to enter Phase 1 June 12th. That's like two weeks from now. So long as the county avoids a spike in COVID-19 cases, stay tuned for that. The Oregon Health Authority Thursday reported 4,086 known coronavirus cases, total deaths of 151, three new coronavirus deaths. On Thursday, 13 more positive coronavirus cases were linked to an outbreak at the Vancouver fruit processor Firestone Pacific Foods. Washington Department of Health shows 20,406 confirmed coronavirus cases in the state and 1,095 known deaths. 119 people are confirmed in Clark County to have the coronavirus. That prompted Washington to pause Clark County's request to move to phase two of reopening. As for Oregon, there was a nameless business said to have an outbreak. We now know what that business is. It's Townsend Farms. The fruit farm and processor is based in Multnomah County, has other locations in Marion and Washington County. The outbreak currently affecting 48 people is at Townsend Farms locations in Fairview and Cornelius. Towns and Farms relies a lot on seasonal workers. It turns out a bunch of seasonal workers came and some of them were carrying the COVID-19 virus. On Thursday, there were more than 40 new cases reported in Multnomah County, among the highest single-day total so far in Multnomah County. Stay tuned for that and how it might impact reopening plans. But if it's isolated just to Towns and Farms, it might not change the timeline from June 12th. Two Friday events are scheduled to memorialize George Floyd. Thursday night, Minneapolis was burning including the police department building. On Friday, two Portland organizations will hold events to memorialize Floyd, protest the police violence that led to Floyd's death. Here's what you need to know about each one. The Portland NAACP is hosting a eulogy for Black America. That's happening this morning, Friday morning, 1130 a.m. at Terry Shrunk Plaza. The event will be led by the NAACP, by the Urban League, by the Coalition of Communities of Color. Several other local religious leaders will gather as well. If you want to go to it, you've been asked to wear face masks and gloves and observe social distancing. The event will also be live streamed on the NAACP's Facebook page. And then tonight, Friday night, 6 p.m. at Peninsula Park, there will be a vigil for George Floyd. The Portland activist group PNW Youth Liberation Front has organized that vigil to show solidarity with Minneapolis protesters and demand justice in Floyd's death. Organizers also ask attendees to wear masks. As for the rest of us, unless you're a sociopath, you share the pain. Unless you're lazy, you try to do a little bit to make the world a little bit better. Meanwhile, Oregon's appellate courts on Thursday began reversing convictions across the state that resulted from non-unanimous verdicts. Nineteen cases got sent back for retrial as review of more than 260 such convictions began. Of those 19, the Oregon Supreme Court returned 16 cases to trial courts. The Oregon Court of Appeals returned three cases. Remember that Oregon's non-unanimous juries were thrown out by the U.S. Supreme Court, with litigants arguing the racist underpinnings of that rule. The defendants in the cases that are getting sent back for retrial include a range of offenses from being a felon in possession of a firearm to first degree sex abuse, burglary, theft and driving under the influence of intoxicants. And because Louisiana changed their rule, Oregon is the only state that's really impacted by that U.S. Supreme Court decision. On May 11th, the Oregon Department of Justice sent the Oregon appellate courts a list of 269 cases that would be affected by the ruling. And now the Oregon Supreme Court and the Court of Appeals are starting to work through those. They issue decisions on the first batch of those this week. It'll now be up to the district attorneys around the state to decide whether to hold new trials, release defendants for their time served, drop the charges, or arrange a settlement. And it does turn out that some Portland streets will be converted into outdoor plazas this summer. The city's Transportation Department announced yesterday that it will accept applications for what it's calling the Safe Streets Healthy Businesses Program. It'll begin offering permits for businesses hoping to expand onto sidewalks or streets outside their storefronts. Full street closures won't be allowed on streets that are emergency or transit routes. The Transportation Bureau will be evaluating permits on a case-by-case basis. Those permits are available immediately, and they're going to last until October 1st. That is, permits for retail businesses will start being processed immediately. The county won't be able to grant permits for dining until the current restrictions are lifted. So if all goes as planned, you'll have to hold off just until June 12th. Pour one out for some of the Portland nerd spots. Things from Another World, a chain of comic shops, announced they are closing their location near 30th and Northeast Broadway. And the Nerd Out, a nerd-themed bar on 33rd and Belmont that hosted cosplay nights, is also closing. And the Game Store, right by the X-Ray Studios, announced they were being closed, but it turns out they're getting bought. What happens when the whole world chooses the color of your house? When it needs to be done, picking out the next paint color for your house can be a tough decision. So the Landreths did what any 21st century Portland family might do. They crowdsourced it. The family placed a sign in their front yard with a QR code. The sign said, Help us choose a color. On the side of the house, they painted five options, Rocky Mountain, Wild Orchid, In Good Taste, Blessed Blue, and finally, It's Well. When a person scans the QR code, they're directed to a Google Docs survey where they can rate the colors on a scale of one to five. The family figured out they might get a few hundred responses. Well, they got over 70,000 responses. A neighbor tweeted the photo of the survey, and it quickly took off. The Landreth started getting votes from all over the planet. Tens of thousands poured in from as close to Portland, as far away as Brazil and Morocco. HGTV, the television station, even retweeted the neighbor's photo. So what's the winning color? The Landreth say you're going to have to wait to find out when voting ends sometime in June. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. A reminder to please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Five stars, five stars. Here's Emily Gilliland with What's Next.
2: Thanks, Jefferson. First up, a focus on the Portland Police Union contract. Will the current contract expire without a replacement? Here's Alex Zelensky, news editor of the Portland Mercury, with
0: more. On the line right now, our friend Alex Zelensky from the Portland Mercury. Alex, how you doing?
2: I'm doing well. Bopping along. How are you?
0: I'm the same. I'm, I'm boppier <laughs> now. I'm boppier now than I was several minutes ago. All right. So the police union contract contract is set to expire with no replacement. What do we know about the uh, police union contract?
2: Yeah. Well, the last time, just for some um, some context, the last time that the Portland uh, police union and and the city agreed on the contract was in two thousand sixteen. And uh, if you recall, it kind of culminated in a lockdown of city hall. A uh, number of lawsuits spurred from protesters being um, injured by the police, and it, it wasn't a pretty sight. Um, now, fast forward, uh, you know, four years, and that contract is set to expire. Uh, the city is was prepared to have, you know, pretty thoughtful negotiations with more public engagement than before, in hopes of having a more peaceful and inclusive and transparent process uh, when it comes to negotiating the, the union's contract. Um, and, you know, this contract kind of ha- includes all of the, um, the the more important pieces to it, at least from the public's perspective, is, you know, how rules and kind of um, limitations around how police are disciplined um, when they used to be forced, how police are disciplined for, for lying, for just, you know, kind of any kind of um, uh, uh, issue kind of uh, that comes up, uh, police pay, police just everything kind of around the job description, but, but the, the penalty part of it is the one that um, that the public's more interested in. Anyways, that contract um, was had begun. The new contract had begun being um, negotiated earlier this year, uh, but the last time that the city and the PPAs lawyers met was I think March. 13th. Uh, everything since then that was on the calendar had been um, delayed or put on hiatus. Uh, they still have yet to meet since that point. And meanwhile, like you said, June 30th is when the current contract is set to expire. Um, and, you know, that's within a, a month. And so there really is no um, no practical way that I could see or the, even city lawyers see uh, that the contract coming to an agreement and being signed by that point is usually a pretty long winding process that takes certainly more than a month to figure out even if there were meetings in the next, you know, jammed into the next month. Um, and so I spoke with the city lawyer yesterday about what that means. Um, if you don't have a contract that goes into place before June 30th, and that will... Um, essentially just extends the current contract kind of indefinitely until there's a new contract that's signed, which isn't um, you know it's not it's not awful, it's not ideal. It also means that no officers who are part of the or members of the uh, police union will be eligible for cost of living uh, wage increases, which is kind of you know just a yearly uh, increase based on inflation, which, uh, interestingly enough, the city is also trying to negotiate for all of its city employees right now to have a freeze on those uh, cost of living increases due to massive budget cuts um, that have come and the fallout of, of COVID 19. So it's not like it would be something that was maybe on the table, anyways. Um, and a lot of times in these contracts, if, if it expires and, and you know, the, the city and the um, union are still holding on to an old contract, The new contract will have kind of a um, an agreement that uh, that allows officers who were not allowed cost of living increases to to get those kind of just belatedly after the new contract signed. anyways long story short not it this doesn't change a lot of things it does delay a process that um, you know members of the public really care about and I think members of the police also care about getting resolved Um, but so many of these negotiations really involve just human interactions in person and conversations and the ability to kind of have side conversations, you know, these, these caucuses, is what they're called during negotiations, where each side goes to, you know, maybe a private room and, and talks about something, kind of figures out how they'll negotiate the next move and comes back. Uh, and the public's expected to be at least, like, attending half of these negotiations. and. Um, setting this up over Zoom or online is uh, proving to be a little tricky, so everything's just kind of on hold. Uh, going. What are the forward.
0: key issues you think that they uh, will or won't find agreement on?
2: Um, there's a lot of, uh, like always, there's a there's a lot of conversation around um, pen, uh, basically, yeah, penalties for police conduct. Um, uh, it's not clear. We haven't even gotten to the point where the city kind of laid out what they're wanting to uh, to really change or move the needle on in the contract since it, those conversations were so preliminary in February and just have been put on hold since. Um, but the biggest conversations are really around being able to um, fire and penalize police officers for using deadly force. Um, right now, as we know, it's it's pretty hard to um, to fire an officer thanks to uh, the arbitration process that the Union has agreed to is It's made it tricky to to really get an officer off the force which you know what we're seeing in Minneapolis right now shows you kind of what that power can do and how that can effectively maybe um, you know I mean the example of the mayor of Minneapolis firing four police officers the, the day after this video came out of them, um, you know, killing a black man, um, that that couldn't really happen here as easily. And so I think conversations around being able to hold that power over officers without going immediately and facing a lawsuit, we think.
0: For now, what I want to say to Alex Linsky is thank you so much for being with us.
2: Of course. Thanks for having me on. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex underscore Z-E-E. That's Alex underscore Z-E-E. Next up, an interview with U.S. Senator Ron Wyden from his table in southeast Portland. The senator and Jefferson Smith discuss taking Oregon's mail-in voting to a national scale, what's next for COVID-19 economic stimulus, and accountability for the Trump administration.
1: All righty, my friend. I think we're about ready to do whatever kind of damage we can do. Let's do it.
0: How's it going? How's your papa doing? He's living he's reading the news. we get to talk on the radio every week, which is nice. he's holding up uh, and your family good the uh, scattered as though everyone might be with betwixt washington d c and New York and here but everybody's safe and good
1: you know it's funny. I basically sat at my desk for like fifty days in a row in d c because with the coronavirus packages I just thought it was so important to try to to focus on getting that um, out and so the family came for you know a couple of days and I just went in the morning and was with them and went right back and now it's good to be home for a few days.
0: A few things I want to talk about by the way you're listening good. to X-Ray and we're talking to Oregon Senior Senator Ron Wyden who is in Oregon right now and spending some time with us and we appreciate it. Few things I want to talk about. I want to jump in to vote by mail and election security right off the top. Richard Burr was the head of the Intelligence Committee. I'm mean, going to want to talk about that also. Now, I think uh, I think it's uh, Rubio, yeah, who's the acting who's the acting chair. The president, of course, has been going on a high offense against vote by mail uh, in in public comments and emails to his supporters. What's the what's the current state of play? on election security, and election and voting safety. We're pushing
1: very hard to empower the states to take the Oregon way nationally. And we're making a lot of headway. I mean, I just saw a little bit ago, bright red Kansas all did their primary by mail. And Jefferson, when I introduced the first ever national vote by mail bill back in 2002. It was kind of an academic debate. And a lot of professors on campus and the like would talk about it. And I used to say they would go to conferences and it was great for the tweed jacket set. They would have lots of debates. And now, no, it is no longer an academic issue. It is a public safety issue. And Oregonians, I believe, should feel very proud that just in the last couple of weeks, we showed America how you could vote safely in a pandemic.
0: And the progress you're seeing within uh, within states or around states, there is some progress. What are things that the federal government needs to do, or you wanna make sure they don't do? Presumably, anything that needed to be passed that would block vote by mail, the House would block. But is there anything that you need the Senate or the president to authorize, whether it's money out to states, uh, what else needs to happen federally?
1: Well, the, the most important thing is, we're starting to see more Republican local officials, like Governor Larry Hogan of Maryland, Governor Mike DeWine of Ohio, Kim Wyman, the Secretary of State in Washington. They're all saying, that they're more interested in protecting the safety of their voters than, in effect, Mitch McConnell's priorities in Washington, DC, which is protecting his turf. So the House passed a good bill. Made available billions of dollars to help us empower the states to uh, use the uh, Oregon approach. Now we've got to get it around uh, Mitch McConnell, who as far as I can tell, has never found anything he wanted to support to promote uh, expanding the franchise, but we're gonna keep pulling out all the stops. And I think what's embedded in people's mind right now is that spectacle recently in Wisconsin, where you had a big long line in cold weather of older people waiting to vote, many of them veterans, they were waiting to vote. They're susceptible to coronavirus. And they were walking up to talk to poll workers, most of whom are over 60 as well, and they're susceptible to the virus. So um, my sense is that um, we're making a lot of headway compared to where we were in 2002. It's just uh, a
0: challenge of continuing to build. You, you started your political life organizing seniors. and the Fox News viewer base has been largely seniors. The argument by many of the, you know, rush to reopen 15% of the population crowd uh, are saying, well, the only people at risk here really are seniors. Simultaneously, we're seeing support for the current president drop precipitously among seniors. Are you surprised uh, by the current sort of state of play with respect to the political dynamics regarding seniors and conservatives and Democrats?
1: I, uh, I think that older people in particular who've got a perspective on, on history look at this in a very specific kind of way we have now seen so many deaths in America. And we have a president who kept for months and months, not leveling with people, offering up misinformation, what in number of instances were just plain you know, lies. And older people who have fought our wars and raised our kids and been the anchors of our community They're starting to see through
0: this. Let's get to the stimulus. It has seen, the the stock market did not go below, it did not end up crashing below 20,000. It's now about 25,000. Some would say that's an irrational response by the stock market given what's happening with uh, jobs and what's happening with the economy, the sort of real economy. Uh, That said, it does appear that that first round, first rounds of stimulus, have been really critical to a lot of people's lives, and there's now a discussion about what still is there to happen. And I got a couple questions on this, but first of all, what do you think is next? What? what well, I hope. I'm sure I,
1: I hope. I hope. For example, um, I wrote the expanded unemployment, you know, package—the $600 more per week each week for uh, four months—and we have had a response in Oregon that is just completely and totally unacceptable. You know, we continue to hear astounding numbers of people who've waited on hold, maybe they talked to somebody about their application. I made sure in that benefit package that the benefits are retroactive. But what the state has done and the state implements program. In other words, the action that I took at the federal level basically involved what I'm allowed to do under federal um, jurisdiction. But the state has got to get moving to get people those benefits. I've had people come up to me in tears, and they've essentially said, Ron, I read you got those, you know, benefits for this unemployment but I can't get them, I call the state office, I'm left on hold, they tell me they'll call me back, they don't call me back. This is completely unacceptable.
0: And what, when you're talking to state officials, I don't know if you've talked to the governor about it, uh, what, obviously a big part of the problem is they've never had to deal with this level of claim requests before. Uh, But at some level, you know, it's now been two months and there's still what, 22,000 plus uh, folks who haven't been able to get their stuff processed. What do you diagnose the problem to be? Or other than just sort of pounding our fists and and asking people to do better, what do you think a solution is?
1: There are two concerns that are valid. They've been flooded with claims. And um, second, they've got a lot of outdated technology. But a significant number of states are doing a lot better than we are. And what we've gotten is one kind of excuse after another. And all these people who've got to pay the rent and got to buy groceries and pay for, you know, medical for their kid, because a lot of folks are laid off their gaps in their health care coverage, these excuses just aren't acceptable. And you're seeing um, the legislature in these hearings saying they're going to insist on a specific strategy that's gonna get this backlog cleared up. And I do want for purposes of your program listeners to know that I insisted that the benefits be retroactive. So people are gonna get that money, but they need it now. They needed it yesterday. They needed it the day before yesterday.
0: What Senate races are you watching? Where do you, we can guess, we know which are the close ones, Uh, but are there any in particular that you want people to be aware of?
1: I think that the Western races are hugely um, important. Mark Kelly out of Arizona, terrific uh, guy. Uh, Gabby Giffords is uh, his spouse Steve Bullock in Montana, John Hinkenlooper in uh, in Colorado. Uh, he's a guy with a good sense of humor. He, had a mask put together called, you know, vote by mail. Then he sent one to me and we're all wearing them. So those are three races in the West and the West has a chance to really put a different type of elected official back in Washington, DC. So I'm spending a lot of time on the Western races.
0: And I'm just aware. I mean, for Oregonians who pay attention to how Washington works, yeah, a few of those victories go Democrats' way, and that puts you in a position that there hasn't been a U.S. senator from Oregon in in some number of years, right? I mean, that'd be a, that'd be a pretty big that'd be a pretty big deal. Not only for how you spend your days, but also for Oregon.
1: Well, I'm I'm very very interested, and in Senator Merkley and I have been working together to help help those those candidates, because I think we've um, seen a really sharp, you know, difference, for example, on the finance committee, Donald Trump is for trickle-down economics. I'm for economics that's uh, based around the middle class, middle class out, you know, grow it out from the middle class, give everybody a chance to get ahead. So the differences are going to be pretty sharp for voters.
0: Last thing, stimulus package number four, uh, what are the puts and takes still Is there, uh, I know there's been some debate around whether there's going to be another round of individual checks for people. Uh, There's another question about timeline. When do you think it happens? Do you think it includes uh, individual checks for individual human beings?
1: Oh, I think it has to, because a lot of people still having difficulty paying their bills. Mitch McConnell had been just playing stall ball for, you know, two weeks, and, um I and others pointed out the unemployment rate in Kansas. I talked to the Louisville Courier Journal and told what uh, we were seeing in, uh, in in DC, and and their senior senator, the majority leader, didn't seem to understand or care. Unemployed folks and appreciate what these issues really mean as a lifeline for communities. So I think unemployment will be a big battle. And the other one to watch is um, aid for uh, the states and localities. And you know, people see well aid for government that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about police we're talking about fire we're talking about emergency services we're talking about the thing that the real heroes do that help people to be safe
0: any last thing you want to say or anything i should have asked about
1: i think you hit it all friend appreciate and uh, appreciate the show and uh, let's um let's put this uh this kind of program in to be continued more mode
0: Senator Wyden, thanks so much for the time. We'll do it again soon. Love your family. Talk to you. Bye-bye. Thanks to Alex and thanks to Senator Ron Wyden for joining the local. And a big thanks to our production team, Editor Extraordinaire Will Romy. By the way, I had to say Editor Extraordinaire three times. If you didn't hear me say Editor Extraordinaire over and over and over, it's because of Editor Extraordinaire Will Romey. Writers: DJ Ambush, Casey Colton, Kate K, Julie Oppenheimer, Joey Polchick, Miranda Sellinger, Writer Sherwood, Jamie Zangle, Co-executive producer: Emily Gilland. And thanks for original journalism. Go to the Lund Report, Oregon Health Authority, COVID19.healthdata.org, the Portland Business Journal, the Willamette Week, Pamplin Media, OPB, the Oregonian, the Statesman Journal, Bike Portland, Street Roots, the Columbian, KGW, Coin, and News Partners Bridgeliner, and the Portland Mercury. I'm Jefferson Smith. And thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. Have you subscribed to The Local? We would love you to. Please do subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Have you already subscribed? Please ask a couple friends to join. You can find us on all the platforms. You can find us on all the platforms through Linktree backslash thelocalportland. And as always, if you have story ideas, send us an email at the local at xray.fm. We can be together while we're apart. Talk to you Monday. We'll be back with Christian Ettinger, founder and brewmaster at Hopworks. This week is gone. This week was fun. On Monday, we'll be another one. In the meantime, stay safe. Stay connected. And thank you, Democracy X-Ray.